Thank you so much, uh, Glyn, as ever, for leading our time of prayer. Now, when Glyn started his prayer and merely asked that question, are you tired? I wonder how many of you watching this, oh, yes, that's exactly where I'm at. And then Glyn was reading from a different translation of a particular gospel, words of Jesus. I wonder if you connected and really took to mind and to heart those words as he was reading. Often it sounds a lot more fresh and gripping when it's from a different translation. From Matthew's Gospel, some that would argue would be obviously the first Gospel. Wouldn't that be your answer if you were asked which is the first Gospel? Well, it's Matthew shortly. And then followed by Mark being second. Well, some Bible scholars would say that theologically the first Gospel is Isaiah chapter 53. Oh, that's interesting. Others say that that chapter is the clearest chapter explaining the way of salvation in the whole Bible. Martin Luther felt it was so important that he felt that every believer should learn it and memorise it by heart. There's a challenge for you. That's homework number one. The stunning predictions that we get in that chapter back in the Old Testament could only have been known by God for them to have been talked about over 700 years before Jesus even came to this world. And yet they were all fulfilled, all those words were fulfilled in him. Now in the book of Isaiah, as I say in the Old Testament, you've got around about 39 chapters on judgment and then 27 chapters that feature on salvation from chapter 40 onwards. Interesting. Some of you will realise that we've got 39 books in the Old Testament. We've got 27 in the New. One scholar said, well, of those 27 chapters of Isaiah about salvation, we've got the first nine chapters of those to do with God's salvation of Israel, the next nine chapters on the salvation of sinners, and then the final nine chapters of salvation of the universe. But those middle nine chapters on The salvation for sinners is Isaiah 53. It's that central to the question of how you and I can ever be made right before God. Yet alongside that great news, and of course it is, it's probably the most graphic and most sad chapter in the whole Bible. And we're going to be reflecting on these words today. They're going to be read to us shortly. This is going to be the focus for us today as we explore God's unchanging love that cost everything. Okay, history lesson. So just peer over my glasses as I adopt teacher mode. Adam failed to believe and obey God. Israel, as a nation, failed to believe God and obey him. At the end of Deuteronomy, again back in the Old Testament, God promised to send one greater than Moses. Through Samuel, God promised to provide a son of David who would reign forever. Through Isaiah, God tells us that that this promised saviour will suffer and die, not for his own sin, but for those of other people, including the likes of you and me. This Jesus came. He was obedient, even unto death, according to God's promised plan. So we're going to look at this prophecy of Isaiah. But firstly, let's ask a question. Because as these words are read to us, we'll see that there's a question about how can this be prophetic when the words, it seems, are looking back 
at the cross, an event that had not occurred at the time. So a prophecy, we tend to think of something looking forwards. But here, these words are written in such a way that as they look forwards, they're written by a group of people that are looking back to the cross. It's a prophecy not even about a singular person, but a group of people who in the future are going to look back at that which was achieved on the cross. Who are these people? Well, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 tells us that Israel will be saved in the future. God is saying that they will pierce his chosen saviour. When the Jews get that kind of wake-up call, what they are going to say together is going to be Isaiah 53 as realisation dawns. Now, we read these words, as we'll read them today, and we know about the cross because we're able to look back, and we've got our New Testament that unpacks more for us, connecting the old with the new together about what that means. Hopefully, we'll see their direct application to ourselves, as well as uh, directly to the person of Jesus. In this passage, we're going to see that this promised saviour, would be an ordinary man, an ordinary guy, ordinary bloke in the street by way of appearance, like those he came to save. He'd suffer and die, the wrongdoing of all mankind, the sin of you and me. Let's listen to Pat as she reads from Isaiah chapter 53. She's going to read from the Good News Version, slightly different translation, but I hope these words strike a chord with you. The reading today is from the Good News Bible, Isaiah chapter 53. The people reply, Who would have believed what we now report? Who could have seen the Lord's hand in this? It was the will of the Lord that his servant grow like a plant, taking root in dry ground. He had no dignity or beauty to make us take notice of him. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing that would draw us to him. We despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. But he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. All the while we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. All of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. He was treated harshly, but endured it humbly. He never said a word, like a lamb about to be slaughtered, like a sheep about to be sheared. He never said a word. He was arrested and sentenced and led off to die, and no one cared about his fate. He was put to death for the sins of our people. He was placed in a grave with evil men. He was buried with the rich, even though he had never committed a crime or ever told a lie. The Lord says, It was my will that he should suffer. His death was a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. And so he will see his descendants. He will live a long life. And through him, my purpose will succeed. 
After a life of suffering, he will again have joy. He will know that he did not suffer in vain. My devoted servant, with whom I am pleased, will bear the punishment of many, and for his sake I will forgive them. And so I will give him a place of honor, a place among great and powerful men. He willingly gave his life and shared the fate of evil men. He took the place of many sinners and prayed that they might be forgiven. Well, what can we get from this passage from Isaiah chapter 53? Well, first things first, have you done your census? Now, that's not what this passage is about, although it is an important question, isn't it? Today being the last day. First things first, we are completely messed up. It's the sort of term, isn't it, that we may well sometimes hear use of of a drug addict or of someone who has lost everything. The Bible points out the obvious in this chapter that we're all messed up. Verse 6, we had read to us that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our very nature is to go the wrong way. It's not just that we have done wrong things. We know that. But according to God's word, we have a problem with our nature as well as our behaviour. That seems to go much, much deeper. The picture used here is of sheep, and that kind of says it all, doesn't it? They wander off, they just can't help it, and then others follow. We mock sheep at being stupid, and yet very often we're exactly the same. We're wired up, it seems, in such a way that we seem to not help ourselves from making mistakes, breaking laws, hurting people, being selfish, or maybe saying the wrong thing in the wrong way, at the wrong time and yet despite that truth all of the punishment for all of the sin ever committed was to be laid upon God's chosen one that verse goes on to say the one who is to be punished in our place and this is how we can visualize in part how God's amazing love is Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39 was put into the lyrics of the, ki- of the kids song. Jesus love is very wonderful. So high, can't get over it. So low, can't get under it. So wide, can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. I can hear Mandy and Joy in their uh, um, living room singing that uh, now in the, such as the same way as they used to sing it here at Community Tots when we were able to meet. That song is a beautiful picture, isn't it, about how amazing God's love is. This sin-bearing pain was, of course, far greater than the physical torture as he bore our sin. We tend to think maybe about that physical side, although when we were talking at Cafe Church yesterday, we were thinking, well, maybe sometimes we don't, and we just focus on the sin element and not that physical side, which, of course, was pretty bad. And more about that as we think about taking communion later. So I hope from a practical side of things, you've got a slice of bread or some red grape juice or the equivalent as we later on think about coming to what we call the Lord's table, something that we would normally do here corporately. We can't do that, but I hope there'll be a sense of togetherness that we can feel as we're united in remembering at exactly the same time Jesus and what he did for us. Let's think about three things about this Jesus that was predicted about way back in Isaiah chapter 53. First thing is this, that he looked nothing special. 
He grew up before God as a young plant. That speaks of the hidden years rather in Nazareth, when in the obscurity of a carpenter's shop, nobody knew who he was apart from really his heavenly father. He was that root out of dry ground. Isaiah's prediction was that a root would rise up from the stem of David, from whom Joseph and Mary were both descended. But the house of David had fallen upon tough times. That royal line had become so impoverished and no one had really recognised its claims of lead- to leadership within Israel. When Jesus came, he was indeed a root at a very dry ground. No halo, no attractive film star face, no extreme muscular body, no material wealth. He looked like everybody else, just one of the guys. How ironic, isn't it, that on the other hand, we seem to spend so much time and money on the importance of what we look like to make ourselves look better, uh, younger, more attractive. As you can tell, it's not really working uh, with some of our perspectives, but still. But Jesus, God's word says this, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. King Saul and even some of the older brothers of, of young David were marveled by the people around because of their stature and their physical strength. Yet God reminded Samuel, it's not the outward appearance, but rather the heart with which God is concerned. What matters most to us? What our heart looks like or just what our face looks like? Jesus didn't even have anywhere to call home when he was on this earth. Isn't this the carpenter's son that somebody would question? The Romans treated him and his whole execution as if it's some form of comedy show. Verse 3 from Isaiah chapter 53 reminds us that he was despised, rejected by mankind. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. The language here literally means that it was as if he was non-existent. Like kind of like a voice is heard and you look around but there's nobody really there. As if you would just walk past him and you wouldn't really notice him. Someone that you'd look away from or maybe cross over the other side of the street to get away from. This Jesus would receive nasty cracks about his birth, inferring that he was an illegitimate son. His brothers misunderstood him. They didn't believe in him. They were embarrassed at some of the things that he said and did. It was only after his resurrection that they believed him. He was truly a man of sorrows, as the hymn says, and acquainted with grief. It wasn't anything by way that he looked like that was so significant about this Jesus. But rather the next thing that Isaiah highlights, which is that he came to be our substitute. Now we can understand that uh, when we watch maybe a, a rugby match because one player is maybe some st- sometimes substituted uh, by another. Didn't do England any good yesterday. And yes, those of you of Irish uh, descent, well done for thrashing us uh, yesterday. But we understand that picture of substitute. One being replaced for another. That's the picture here. Through animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, God provided a picture of the necessity of a sin payment, a substitute to take our punishment for our wrongdoing. 
But as the writer of Hebrews says, those sacrifices were only uh, like an, an annual reminder of wrongdoing. Because, as chapter 10, verse 3 and 4 in Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. He wasn't punished because of his own sin, because he didn't have any. Hebrews 4.15 says that, wow. It's a wow moment in itself, isn't it? This Jesus that went through what he went through, but he himself was completely perfect. As we think about working through what it is that he came to do, we're we're asking the question, we're forced to ask the question, how can this compassionate and forgiving God at the same time not look past our wrongdoing? How can he be able to punish wrongdoing, but at the same time also forgive people? And the two come together in this person of Jesus. By punishing Jesus in our place and forgiving those who turn to him in repentance and faith. If you want some big words, again, this is homework number two uh, already that we've had today. He was the propitiation for our sins. He atoned for. He was our redeemer. So there we go. Propitiation, atonement and redemption. Um, Answers on a postcard, please, uh, this week. I know somebody is going to send me an email unpacking the three of those and you know who you are. It's good for us to dig deeper, to think about these words that describe not just what Jesus did, but the significance of what he did for the likes of you and me. And we've come up with different words that try to help us in our humanness grapple and understand with what it was that he achieved for us and secured for all eternity. 1 Peter 2, 24 reminds us that he bore our sins on the tree. Isaiah simply says, Here in verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. The Jews thought that God was using them to crucify a blasphemer. But God was in fact using them to put a saviour on the cross for our sins. God's son. Verse 5 tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. That's a a powerful word, isn't it? Pierced. Think about that by way of the skin being pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins, our wrongdoing. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds or his stripes, we are healed. Minister of Education in Evangelism, Randy Mann, said these words. I want you to focus on this. I like this quote. The promised saviour would receive the piercing, crushing and chastisement that we deserved. The sinless servant would take upon himself the iniquity of all. As a result, those to whom his blood are applied receive his healing and peace. What rightly belonged to man and woman, sin, suffering and death, was placed upon him. But what rightly belonged to him, righteousness and life, was given to those who would believe in him through repentance and faith in him. For anyone to receive forgiveness. 
We must all come to that place, mustn't we? Of realising that one came as a substitute for us. God proves his love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Don't like that as a question, do we really? It's uncomfortable, almost offensive as a transgressor. The truth is, if we don't, we can't be forgiven. Because we can't come to Jesus unless we're aware of two things. One, that we are a sinner who is in need of God's forgiveness. And two, that we can't save ourselves. We're not good enough. And there is only one who is able to save us. Because he came as our substitute, the perfect for the imperfect. He looked nothing special, but he came to be our substitute. But thirdly, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Led like a lamb to the slaughter in silence and shame, an Easter song goes. For those who look after sheep, there's apparently a lead sheep that leads the others off to slaughter many of the jews were shepherds they they would have known this verse 7 he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth we read in verse 7 jesus didn't complain or argue before those who were accusing him when he stood before the high priest, he was silent until the high priest put him on oath to tell them who he was. When he stood before Pilate, he was silent until to remain silent was to, de- to deny his very kingship. Then he spoke briefly, simply to acknowledge who he was. When he was with the soldiers, they struck him, they spat on him, put a crown of thorns in his head. Yet he didn't say a word. When he went before the sneering Herod, he stood absolutely silent. We can quickly get defensive, can't we, ourselves? But not Jesus. John 1.29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. Verse 8 continues and says that by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? There was a Jewish law that said that for anyone who had been found guilty and was sentenced to death, there should be a period of 40 days before that sentence be carried out, in case someone had made a mistake or a wrong judgment had been made. Witnesses then had the opportunity to come forward within that 40-day period. We understand the common sense of that. Yet Jesus was crucified the night after his fake trial. Massive breach of Jewish law and quite an embarrassment still to this day to the Jews. It's even written in the Talmud. Uh, Jews have rewritten history to state that, that, that Jesus was crucified 40 days after his trial. Jesus, he looked nothing special. He came as our substitute and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. But that's not just it. Although that's graphic and painful, and certainly if you're watching this on a a Sunday morning, it may well be quite uncomfortable and unpleasant to reflect upon. 
But this same Jesus knew that death was not the end. And Isaiah chapter 53 goes on to tell us that. That should act as a comfort to us. There's resurrection that is built in here in these verses. Verses 10 and 11, we read there that though the Lord make his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Many of you will know that recently I was privileged to take the funeral of my uncle. He was a dad of two, a granddad of four, and a great-granddad of five. And I expect that if asked, he would have said that he would have loved to have been able to have watched those great-grandchildren grow up and to have children of their own. And yet he would have said that knowing that as a result of his uh, increasing age and and decreasing uh, uh, deteriorating health, that that wouldn't have been possible, that the end was nigh. Each of us know that that's going to be a case in the here and now on this life, don't we? But... Jesus will see his offspring. Who are they? He didn't have any children, did he? John 1.12 reminds us that yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus' offspring are, believe it or not, the very sinners that he came to save, in a sense. And that includes the likes of you and me, if we've trusted in this Jesus for our own salvation. And if there's hope, for him beyond death then it follows that there can be hope indeed for us too and therefore we rejoice whilst we grieve over this pain that Jesus went through for us it wasn't the end it may well have been Friday but as Ian Blackie very often says Sunday is coming there is going to be that day that resurrection day I have to ask you a question before we close, before we come to this opportunity for a communion after a song which we'll sing in a couple minutes' time. And that question is very simple. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? The last couple verses in Isaiah 53, we read there that my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities, their sins. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him to give our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king there's a response that these verses demand now at the moment by way of our own doing church we're quite restricted we feel as to how we might take hold of this and then enact that and participate in that but it doesn't stop with just our head knowledge or our mental assent to who Jesus is or what he did back then or even to when we became a Christian thinking back about to himself who gave himself as an offering for ourselves because we're encouraged in Romans 12 to give our lives as being living sacrifices being that ongoing daily offering how are we doing that 
It's really hard behind closed doors. It's really hard when we're in isolation. Pick up the phone. As restrictions then are lessening, seek to put into practice that which is your and my faith. It's a living faith. It's relational. Let's not get stuck or bogged down with just the mere head ascent to what this amazing Jesus has done for us. It must never stop there. It has to go off out from here. That's why we've got an opportunity that's a positive one to engage together. Isaiah 53 is the gospel in a nutshell. It reminds us what we're really like, although we don't like looking in a mirror maybe, but we need to be reminded from time to time. We need to be reminded about what our wrongdoing deserves. But it also speaks of God's amazing love and of the one who came willingly to take the blame for all that we have done, for those wrong attitudes and for all of our selfishness. His name is Jesus. He gave his life for you and for me. What grace. What amazing grace thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, today hope that you have enjoyed uh, what you've seen what you've experienced we've begun with that opportunity for worship we then were led into prayer we've had god's word read we unpacked what god's word means for us we've had an opportunity to gather around his table to take of bread and for the wine, to remember that he died for us. Wonderful it is to know that we are his child and that nothing is going to therefore prevent us from ultimately being with him throughout all eternity. I don't know whether or not you are one of those people who are yet to have your COVID jab, Um I had my my first one uh, this week. As you can see, I'm still completely normal. <laughs> no comments, please, clearly sniggering here. Um, but of course, the thing is about having your COVID jab, you think, oh, that's great, because now there's a lot less chance of me catching COVID. But it's still not 100% foolproof that I'm not going to get something. The amazing truth is... What the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Our trusting ourselves to what he did for us when he died on the cross means that we are 100% safe and not then having to face God's judgment or the punishment for our own sin. It is that 100% guarantee that no other vaccination can offer. Spiritual vaccination, if you like, Trust that you would have made that decision to place your faith and your trust in him. If you've got any questions or comments about what you've seen or heard, we would love to hear from you. Do appreciate all the emails that come through. Do keep those going and we'll do our best to get back to you as and when we can. For now, let's just close with a brief word of prayer prayer together. (laughs) We'll try that one again. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have had to gather as your people, to think, to reflect, to worship, to pray, to read, to study, to hear, to think again of the one who came 
to give his life for us. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go through what you had to face for our wrongdoing. We love you. Help us to give of our lives back to you as we seek to work out what that means to be a follower of yours. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.